Today, Ukraine wrestles with Elon Musk's Starlink on the front lines. France's proposal for peace on the Israel-Lebanon border. Robo-taxi vandalism sparks a fresh debate on self-driving cars. And the death of a superstar marathon runner refocuses attention on super sneakers. It's Tuesday, February 13th. This is Reuters World News, bringing you everything you need to know from the front lines in 10 minutes, every weekday. I'm Kim Vanell in Whanganui, New Zealand. Ukraine's military spy agency has said that Russian forces are buying Starlink satellite internet terminals in Arab countries for use on the battlefield. The Elon Musk-owned service has been vital to Kiev's battlefield communications. The Kremlin has denied its troops use Starlink. But Ukrainian officials have said Russian forces are increasingly relying on it. Tom Baumforth is in Kiev. Tom, what do we know about these alleged satellite sales? There are a number of Russian language sites advertising Starlinks for sale online. SpaceX has categorically denied it is selling them directly to the Russians. But the Ukrainians are saying that Russian forces are buying Starlinks illicitly through third countries and that their use is increasing on the front. What difference could it make to Russia to have access to Starlink? So I think that's a little bit difficult to say, but the Starlink has been a key battlefield communications device for Ukraine. So on the front line, there's no cellular connection, so it provides a really powerful way for units to communicate. And what's Starlink saying? So Starlink has said it has no business relation whatsoever with the Russian government or military. Elon Musk has said to the best of their knowledge, the terminals are not being sold indirectly either. The company has said clearly that the terminals do not work in Russia, but it has not publicly addressed itself to the question of whether they're, they're being used in occupied Ukraine. As the King and I discussed today, the United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks. Joe Biden speaking after meeting with Jordan's King Abdullah at the White House. They're throwing their weight behind efforts for a Gaza Strip ceasefire. But there's a new push to try and end hostilities elsewhere this time between Israel and Iran-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon. The long-running conflict has been escalating in tandem with the war in Gaza, with cross-border missiles and airstrikes. A proposal from France aims to end that and to settle the disputed frontier between the two countries. Maya Jabali is in Beirut. So Maya, first off, what is France proposing? France is proposing a three-phase ceasefire that would see a halt to hostilities on the Lebanese-Israeli border, which have been going on for the last four months, that would see a withdrawal of some of the military capabilities that we've seen in the South, that would see a withdrawal as well of Lebanese armed groups, which is primarily a reference to Hezbollah, although the proposal doesn't directly name Hezbollah, that would be a withdrawal to a distance of 10 kilometers from the border. It would see also, importantly, a deployment of up to 15,000 Lebanese army troops into southern Lebanon. And ultimately what it envisions is resumed talks on the land border delineation. So there are all these rules for Hezbollah. What does Israel have to do as part of this proposal? That's an important question. Israel would also have to cease military activities into Lebanon, including airstrikes. 
while the Israeli military says that they're targeting Hezbollah and other armed groups that are firing rockets onto Lebanon, those airstrikes have had a very devastating impact on the communities of southern Lebanon. Being able to put an end to those hostilities would allow tens of thousands of Lebanese to come home on that side of the border and hopefully would allow also thousands of Israelis to go home in northern Israel as well. How is Hezbollah likely to respond? So what Hezbollah officially says is that we're not going to talk about anything on the Lebanese-Israeli border until we see a ceasefire take place in Gaza. But what we've heard as well is that they're not necessarily closing the door to this type of diplomacy. We reported about a month ago that they have been open to listening to ideas proposed by the U.S. and other interlocutors. And what we understand is that that door is still open. Donald Trump and President Joe Biden remain locked in a tight rematch after a special prosecutor's report that put a spotlight on Biden's age and memory. That's according to a new Reuters Ipsos poll. About half of Americans think President Biden got special treatment when federal prosecutors decided not to prosecute him for allegedly mishandling classified documents. Some 78% of respondents, including 71% of Democrats, also think Biden is too old to work in government. Just over half consider Trump too old for government work. Donald Trump has asked the Supreme Court to intervene in his bid for immunity from prosecution. Trump has asked the higher court to pause an appeals court ruling that rejected his claim that he is immune from being prosecuted for trying to overturn his 2020 election loss. The Senate is expected to pass an aid package for Ukraine later today, but the bill faces long odds in the House, where a majority of Republicans have opposed continuing to send aid to Ukraine. We're taking this storm extremely, extremely uh, serious. New York Mayor Eric Adams there as a fast-moving nor'easter is set to wallop the northeast Tuesday. NYC could see six inches of snow and Boston could get a foot. Over to markets now with Carmel Crimmins. And Carmel, if you're looking for a car ride to that hot date on Valentine's night, you might be left hanging, right? That's right, Kim. Thousands of drivers for ride-sharing platforms Uber and Lyft are expected to go on strike in the US over pay on February 14th. And staying in might not be a great option either for people looking for a romantic meal. Drivers for food delivery app DoorDash are also expected to down tools. There's trouble of a different kind at the high-tech end of the cab market. Over the weekend, a crowd in San Francisco set fire to a Waymo self-driving car using a firework. A spokesperson for the Alphabet-owned Waymo said it was a one-off event. But was it? Or is there some guerrilla campaign against robo-taxis that we don't know about? Joe White is our Detroit automotive editor. So, Joe, is this a one-off thing or is this a thing? This particular incident involving the torching of the Waymo vehicle may be a one-off, but it definitely is a violent incident that underscores the broader and and longer kind of running animosity that a lot of people in San Francisco appear to have toward the autonomous vehicles, particularly the robo-taxis that are running around in the city. 
There have definitely been incidents involving people attacking these cars, putting traffic cones on the windshields to essentially disable their navigation systems. My colleagues in San Francisco are reporting that there were other incidents of revelers aiming fireworks at Waymo cars as they were going through the city on Sunday night. So there's definitely an issue here. Are the companies concerned about this? Well, it's definitely, all of this is definitely a concern. And if for no other reason than that these incidents are helping to energize a political opposition or political moves to rein in the robo-taxi industry in California, there are, there are at least two bills in the state legislature backed by the Teamsters Union and other interests in the state to, in different ways, limit the robo-taxi and also the autonomous trucking industry. Calvin Kipton was targeting marathon history before his death last weekend in a car accident. Already the world record holder, his next goal was to break the two-hour barrier. And while his record-breaking runs speak for themselves, there's also the question of what role his amazing shoes played in his ability to slash run times. Mitch Phillips is Reuters' sports editor for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Mitch, first, what kind of loss was this for the sport and, and how exceptional was he? It's a massive loss. But how exceptional he was is hard to tell. He's very young for a marathon runner. He's 24. Most marathon runners don't peak until a long time after that. He's blasted onto the scene. So, yeah, I mean, all the talk was that he was going to be the man to break the two-hour mark legally in the next year or two or three. And now that's not going to happen. Someone will come along and do it soon. But I think it's definitely set it back a few years, especially since he was so young and with so much time ahead of him. He obviously had immense talent and training, but he also had these incredible shoes, these Alpha Fly 3s from Nike. What credit should these shoes take for the marathon runner's success? Undoubtedly, these shoes have made a difference. The marathon used to be chipped away at by two seconds, one second, you know, nothing for five years and two seconds. And now people are taking half a minute off and five minutes off in the women's case. So it's a monumental difference. And it's the same on the track with long distances. All the records are gone. So there's no debate about the shoes make a massive factor or are a massive factor. The only question is how much of a massive factor and how, and how long can they keep going? Because they keep developing new versions and each new version seems to come up with a new record. So yeah, a lot of people don't like it. That's it for today's episode of Reuters World News. We'll be back tomorrow with our daily headline show. To make sure you know what's going on in the world, listen in for 10 minutes every weekday. And don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast player or download the Reuters app. Thank you.